Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Romans 3, 21. Many of us have been eagerly anticipating and ready to get to Romans 3, verse 21. We leave God's wrath finally, and we arrive at Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I'll read 21 through 26. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith that was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and the justifier the one who has faith in Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So for the last eight weeks, that's 64 verses. The last eight weeks, we have looked at God's just and righteous wrath upon the life of sinners from Paul's letter to the Romans. And just by way of reminder to sum everything up, all of us, in this room are sinners. We are all sinners who rightly deserve God's wrath. Verse after verse, Paul has been building his case that all of humanity, Jew and Greek, are completely evil. We are spiritually dead and in need of salvation before a holy God. Paul has used the words that we very rarely hear in this day and age. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one. Our throat, our throat is an open grave. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Our feet are swift to shed blood. Our path is ruin and misery. So Paul gave his summary statement in Romans 3 verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So our condition is sinful, our speech is sinful, and our actions are sinful. Conclusion, we, all of humanity, we do not fear God. This means we do not worship Him and we are against Him. We are all enemies of God. And right before Paul arrives to humanity's only answer for sin, he informs us that through the law of God that He has given us and written on our hearts, Two things are known. Number one, by our works, we cannot be justified before a holy God. By our works, we cannot be justified before a holy God. And number two, whether we admit it or not, we all have knowledge of our sin. We all have knowledge of our sin. Our works cannot save us, and we know that we are all sinners. Paul's letter to those in Rome does not end in Romans 3, verse 20. And as God's children today, we say, praise God, amen. Because it continues. 
Paul did not leave them, nor does he leave us helpless and hopeless. He shares humanity's only hope. For there is one hope for you, there is one hope for me. In today's verses, we will look at salvation, specifically our only justification before God. And as Christians, we dare not change that to a way to be justified. There is not a way to be justified. There is only one way to be justified. And it's through Christ in Christ alone. So adults and youth, more than likely, you have already been asked by others, how can I be saved? Maybe you were ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Maybe you weren't. Today's verses, they tell us what to believe. And what I mean by that is God's word has authority over your life. What God has breathed, what God has spoken, it has authority over our life. These verses tell us what to believe this morning. They answer the questions, how is one saved? How can I be saved? How do I know if I am saved? What makes me right before God? How is one justified before a holy and righteous God? Is salvation a gift or is salvation a work that I must do? Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So no one is justified in God's sight by works of the law, This is a helpless situation if Paul stops writing in verse 20, but he doesn't. Verse 21 begins with the words, but now. Paul's choice words here reflect a change of flow in his argument to a group of people that he has never met but whom he loves. The words, but now, signal a massive turning point in this letter. No longer is Paul building up the depravity of man. He is now building up man's only righteousness with the words, but now. The words, but now, inform us of how God's wrath is removed. These words cry out hope. To say it another way, there is only one road that leads to heaven. All roads lead to judgment, but there is only one way in, there is only one door, there is one narrow path, there is only one hope of salvation. There is only one way for God's wrath to be removed, only one way for man to be found righteous before a holy God. So all are clothed in God's wrath, but there is one way in which the wrath of God can be removed and a person can be clothed in the righteousness of God. So Paul has informed us all over verse after verse after verse that our house is on fire. That we are without excuse. We know that our house is on fire. And when our house is on fire, Paul now gets to the point in Romans 3 verse 21, in which he lets us know with great excitement there is a way out of the house that's on fire. There is one path for salvation for you. If you will, look back with me at Romans 1, verse 1. Paul began by declaring Paul a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He said, set apart 
for the gospel of God, which he promised through him, through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. And then if you continue and you go to Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, with the words, but now, Paul is getting to the point and explaining, let me now explain to you the righteousness that you can have. Let me get to the point. I have already made it fully clear. You're all sinners. You all fall short of the glory of God. Now let me get to the good news that you need to understand. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So Paul is getting back to what he was saying in Romans 1, verse 1, getting to the truth, the undeniable truth, that you have the Old Testament Scriptures, you saw what the Scriptures were pointing to. Let me quote those to you and explain those things to you. So he says, separate from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has appeared or been made manifest. So no one has kept the law. Therefore, no one is righteous. All have sinned. All have fallen short. All are condemned. But here is the good news. The righteousness of God has appeared. And the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The law and the prophets signal to all of us all of the Old Testament Scriptures. So therefore, the news that Paul is about to declare to these people he's never met, it's not new news. It's just old news revealed. This old news began in Genesis 3, verse 15, and was continually taught through the prophets, through the Old Testament. You may want to write these down. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. So the law and the prophets bear witness to to what Paul is about to tell them. So year after year, through scriptures and through prophets sent by God, Yahweh was graciously pointing all of humanity to 
His Son. When you study and read the Old Testament, you see time and time and ten, again, you see the altar. You see sacrifice after sacrifice being brought to the altar. You see substitutions for sin, substitutions for sin over and over. You find the day of atonement. You find promise after promise after promise given, promises kept. You find the Lamb of God has come and He has accomplished His mission. And this is what Paul is telling them about. Look at verse 22 of our main text. The righteousness of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So before we dive into these beautiful words, let's clarify a few things in our hearts. You are not righteous. In our culture, we hear so much about you have good in you. You just need to find it. It's within. Conjure it up yourself. Build it up yourself. Scripture says, and God says, you yourself are not righteous. You cannot make yourself righteous. There is no ladder to climb or works to do in which you can win your salvation. You are spiritually dead, and dead people cannot and will not reach out for God. God must make you born again. Paul to the church in Philippi said this in Philippians 3, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Did you notice what he said? Whatever gain I had. It means Paul used to be very proud of who he was as a person. Extremely proud. Look at who I am. Look at at what I have. Look at, I mean, my education, you, you don't match it. My bloodline, you don't match it. I have all these great privileges But he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is a man who says, I used to count everything as myself and all about myself. Now it's all rubbish and the only thing that I count as anything worthy of boasting about is my Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the righteousness of God comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness is not found in you. It is outside of you. Which means God must do it because it is an alien righteousness. So who is this righteousness for? The righteousness is for all who believe. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And this righteousness is for all who believe. For all Jews and for all Greeks. So our works, our human effort, they cannot save us. But God himself has provided us with a righteousness outside of us and outside of his law. So the righteousness of God has God as its source. 
This is what you need to understand. The righteousness of God has God at its source. So an individual who is fully wretched and wicked and sinful, fully depraved, you cannot reach out to the source and grab it. It is by or through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that one is made righteous. So it cannot be by or through anyone or anything else. So before we move forward in these verses, it's important that we have working definitions of two words. Righteousness and faith. Righteousness. Righteousness is a doctrine concerning the way in which man can attain a state approved by God. Over and over, we've talked about the fact that you and I are not looking horizontally. I don't look at my brother John, my brother Blake, or David, and look horizontally and say, when you look at my life compared to them, big difference. The reality is, there's not a difference at all. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and outside of, of God restraining evil, even in my own life, because he's sovereign and providentially ruling over all things, I would be just like them. And they would be just like me. Like, God has done it all. We don't look horizontally. We look vertically. Because there's nobody here who's our judge. God is our judge. You are not righteous. You cannot make yourself righteous. You are spiritually dead. And this righteousness... It comes through faith in Christ, and this righteousness is for Jew and for Greek. So righteousness is the doctrine concerning the way in which man, us, may attain a state approved by God, because we need God's approval. It's the quality of being virtuous, honorable, morally right. Righteousness is doing what is right in the sight of God. Therefore, righteousness before God cannot depend on human achievement or merit because God cannot overlook sin, not even for a brief second. Faith. Faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. Faith is complete trust, complete confidence in someone or something. This morning in Sunday school, we got an illustration of that. I always picture a little child who comes up to the edge of the swimming pool and their father is in the pool. Father puts out his arms like this. The child trusts the father. They may be scared of the water, but they know that their daddy's going to catch him. And when it comes to salvation, that's exactly what it is. All of our faith, all of our hope, all of our trust, it's not in those things that we have done. It is completely in our Savior, Christ. It's complete trust, complete confidence. Concerning salvation, faith is a belief that Jesus Christ is the Messiah through whom, through Jesus, we obtain eternal salvation into the kingdom of God. So in just two verses, in verses 21 and 22, they teach us something that separates us from every other world religion. These two verses reveal to us that we cannot become righteous by ourselves. This is what so many in our world do not understand. They do not comprehend. That 
We are not spiritually dead people who can improve our deadness. We need a righteousness that we do not have. So what is necessary for salvation? What makes us right before God? Faith in Jesus Christ is required for salvation. That's why when you study history, you find the word solo fide, faith alone. As individuals, we don't trust ourselves. As individuals, we must place our trust, our hope, our confidence in Christ alone for our salvation. We just don't say Christ. We must say Christ alone. We are trusting in who the Bible declares Jesus to be, not who we think Jesus is. The spotless Son of God. We are trusting in the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the payment of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. Our hope and our confidence in is everything that He is. It is not who He is and what He has done and what I do. It's just Him. We add zilch, goose egg, Nada, nothing to salvation. We cannot bring anything to the table. That's why you have the Son of God painting the picture of the final judgment and people standing before Him and saying, Lord, Lord, we did this in Your name. We did this in Your name. We did this in Your name. Imagine standing before a holy God telling God everything that you did. You don't understand God. And maybe you're thinking, but pastor, like, that's not how I view salvation. Maybe that's true for you. But so much of our life, even as Christians, is being spent. We think and we live as if we're doing great things and we need to be rewarded for it. But those who have salvation, they have their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Is your faith in Christ? Because without faith in Christ alone, you are not saved. You have no relationship with Him. You are actually an enemy of God. And the fact that you're still alive today is a measure of God's grace. Jesus came to save sinners by paying for the sins of those who would place their trust in Him. So is your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because nothing else can cover you. Nothing else can cover your sins. Nothing else can remove your sins. And nothing else can give you the righteousness in which you need, the righteousness imputed from the Son in which you need to stand before a holy God. Verses 22 and 23, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So faith in Jesus Christ is required for salvation. We must believe in Jesus Christ. So children and youth, you must believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Most of us, we know John 3.16. For many of us, it was the first verse you ever memorized. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
But verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So without Christ coming, without Christ doing what He did, without living a spotless, perfect life, without going to the cross and being nailed to the cross, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So if Christ did not come, we are all condemned. But there's a but here. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So whoever doesn't believe now, even in this room, you are condemned already. Your works are evil. But faith in Jesus Christ is for Jews, it's for Jews, and for Greeks. There is no distinction because we have one, God, one judge. God is a judge. All have sinned. All have fallen short of his glory. In verse 24, and they are justified by his grace as a gift. That gift is through the redemption of Jesus Christ. The word justified or justification occurs around 14 times in Romans. And many numerous other words are used to talk about this as well, all throughout the letter. The word justification, that is a legal word that means to be declared righteous or just. Look at verse 24 with me. And are justified by His grace as a what? As a gift. This is a divine act whereby God makes humans who are sinful and therefore worthy of condemnation acceptable before God who is holy and righteous. You see, one is justified or declared righteous by God's grace as a gift. So we're justified by God's grace. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. So you get salvation, you get redemption, you get justification. It is all a gift. Justification by grace through faith. So a gift is something that is freely given. It is not something deserved. It is not something awarded. It is not something earned. Salvation is a gift from God. So how is this possible? Verse 24. Salvation is a gift from God. It is possible through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the answer. It's not, how do we, if we're, if we're fully wicked, if, if Paul just stops there, if he just says, you know what, I've been building up, building up your depravity, your wickedness, your sin, and he stops, but he doesn't. This is possible through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what is redemption? Redemption is deliverance. It's a releasing affected by payment of ransom. It's a paying a price. It's releasing from the bondage of sin and brought into a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus, the answer for being released is Jesus himself. So salvation is possible. The sinner is made righteous through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received 
by faith. So God provided His Son, Jesus Christ. God put forward His one and only Son as forward for payment for sin. God put forward His Son as a propitiation by His blood. Now, propitiation is appeasement or satisfaction. It's to satisfy the demands of justice. So, use propitiation within the context of salvation, concerning salvation. God put forward the Son of God, the sinless one, Jesus Christ, to satisfy His wrath against sin that offends His holiness. So Jesus is the offering. Propitiation is not our work, it is God's work. So Christ on the cross satisfied God's wrath and removed our sin. Isaiah 53, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, that he shall bear their iniquities. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 14. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Some, of the, some individuals, they look at Paul's letter to the Romans and they think Paul is unbalanced. When you read Romans, which I believe to be most magnificent letter ever written. The more and more I study it and spend time in it. It is so gracious of what Paul is unfolding to us as humanity. As I don't look at this and be like, Paul is unbalanced. I look at this and I see my own pride. I look at this and I see how I am not humble. I look at this and I see my own personal justification before a holy God. I look at this and I see my sin on full display. I think of what I actually boast in and about. I think about my own pride and when I think so highly of myself. And then verse after verse after verse after verse, what Paul does is he breaks that down to realize you are all without excuse. No one is righteous, not even one, not even you, Casey. Like you haven't done it. You'll never do it. You cannot do it. You cannot be saved outside of God's grace. It's the blood of Jesus that saves. This is what Scripture teaches. God puts forward His Son because there is no other blood that will forgive your sins. He puts forward His Son. So when sin entered the world, God made a promise. He said, I'm going to make all things that have gone wrong, I'm going to make it Right, Genesis 3, verse 15. It's going to happen. There will be a payment that will be paid. And for that payment to occur, God had to send himself. 
God himself came. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the payment. So the blood of Jesus satisfies the wrath of God upon our sinful life. For centuries, Christians have sung nothing but the blood written by Robert Lowry. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and my peace. Is this truly all your hope and all your peace? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is this truly all your righteousness? Now by this I'll overcome. Now by this I'll reach my home. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the blood that forever saves is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other payment. Even in the things that the Lord has given to His church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, baptism is a picture of the blood of Jesus fully covering us. In the Lord's Supper, we remember His blood that was shed for us. His blood that saves That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth to save sinners by laying down His life, by the shedding of His own blood. What God would do that? That Jesus, the sinless one, He was the Lamb that was led to the slaughter for sinners to be made in right standing with God. So I ask you, what is your faith in? At this moment, when it comes to salvation, is your heart trusting in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Where do you stand right now? Because you're either standing in the righteousness of Christ or you're standing completely covered in the wrath of God. If your faith is in Jesus, are you spending the time to know Him? To actually know Him in the power of His resurrection. To be like Him in His death. Are you becoming more humble because you see more sin in your life? Because if we truly say, I am standing in what Christ has accomplished, great. Are you standing firm knowing your Savior and living for your Savior? If your faith is in Jesus, are you telling others about how they can have their sins forgiven? This is why century after century, one of the things that parents were taught is to pass on their faith in the homes. The breakdown is going to happen within the family. That if you say you believe something with your mouth, you'll prove it with what you do in your life. That if you have faith in Jesus, at least you're going to tell your children about Him so they can have their sins removed by God's grace. Are you caring for your own soul and caring for the souls of others? 
See, there's many individuals who speak about the glory of God, how they even have the first question memorized. What's the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever? Are you hungry for God to be glorified in your life? Or have you become so satisfied with the temporary fleeting pleasures? Don't settle for anything less than living for the glory of God. Because nothing else is worthy of your time. If your faith is not in Jesus, go to Him and trust Him. Because all those who believe will be saved. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Ask Him to save you. Repent of your sins and believe. God has given us that command. Repent and believe. But know this, the calling of Jesus, the calling to follow Jesus, is a calling to come and to die. In our society, we really struggle with this. We see persecution of different people around the world, and there's different types of persecution here. But the calling to follow Jesus is a calling to come and die. This past week, I was speaking with someone who says, you mean when I enter into a relationship with Christ and I repent of my sins and I believe in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation, I have to live for him? That sounds like a really prideful God. I said, well, if a person really understands who God is, you will understand that he alone is worthy of our worship. So to live for anything or anyone else is actually just foolishness. It is a calling to come and to die. That is the calling. But what does that look like for you? What does that mean in your present struggles in this life? What does that mean when you're having money problems? What does that mean when you have job problems? What does that mean... Um, when your time is very short and you have all these different uh, ropes that you feel like are pulling you this way and tugging you this way and moving you this way. No matter what is going on in your life, that means you are still called to live for Jesus. The righteousness that you claim to stand upon, that you claim to trust in, the righteousness that you sing week after week after week is also the righteousness in which needs to be on display because you are living for Him and not for yourself. The calling to follow Jesus is a calling to come and to die. It is a calling to live for Him. And until individuals begin to trust in Him and live for Him and follow Him, your heart will become restless and you will become satisfied with the things of this world that do not satisfy. Because you will keep going back and you will keep coming back. It's like the woman at the well. What did Jesus say? He's like, if you would have known who it was who would talk to you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. There is one hope and that one hope for humanity is Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is explaining to these people whom he loves, whom he has never met, that he wants them to understand and to fully embrace as a church. He wants them to understand and to fully comprehend with his heart and mind and soul and strength that I am called to live for the one whom I claim to have full confidence, hope, and assurance in. And that person is Jesus Christ. 
That there is one hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. Only Christ can wash away our sins. Therefore, Christ is also the only one who is worthy to live for. He has made us. He has made us to image him. And he has given us time on this earth to glorify him. And that means we must go to him and we must rest in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the undeniable truth that you have provided one hope for humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ. As your Son declared, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And one day, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. One day every heart will stand before you and there is nothing that we can hide for you know all of our secrets. Father, for those in this room who have been lying to themselves and to others, for those in this room, Lord, who have been trusting in Jesus and something else. Lord, convict them of their sin. Reveal that to them. Father, may they trust in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation. Lord, for those of us in this room who have been trying to get into heaven by another way, you see, Father, you know. Father, may they lay that aside knowing that there is no one righteous, no, not one, and that we cannot earn our way in. It is through the payment of your Son in which we must trust and believe in him. Father, for those of us in this room who have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation, Father, we need your help, we need your word, we need wisdom so that our life matches our profession. We know that we need your grace day in and day out. But Father, help us to reorder our priorities in which you are truly most glorified in us because we are most satisfied with you. Father, for those that are fully lost and they don't like hearing about God's wrath and they don't like hearing about judgment and thinking about God's judgment, for those who don't like being told that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, Father, do what only you can do. Convict them. Use your holy word. Save them. Father, and as a church, Lord, I pray that this church will truly be a light on the hill, a light in this city in which we are not ashamed of the gospel, but we stand upon the truth of the gospel and we proclaim it with great boldness and with great clarity. 
that with the culture, Lord, we would not shift what your word says to appease the culture, but we would have only one person on the throne room of our heart, and that is you. That we would fully seek to please you in all things. That we would ask ourselves questions. Lord, does this glorify you? Does this make much of you? Does this elevate you? Father, show us truly what it is to be like the Apostle Paul. To count nothing and everything that we have as rubbish in comparison to Christ. Continue to increase in us a greater desire to make you known and to live for you. This is our prayer. This is our plea. And we pray this in the one whom salvation is found in Jesus Christ. In his name, in his name alone. Amen.